Welcome back to Endurance Icons, where we talk to endurance athletes who are crushing it in the world of sports. We are Mark and Jess, hosts of Endurance Icons, and today we have Katie, ultra runner, and the recent second place finish at the Western States Endurance Run. Welcome, Katie. Thanks, yeah. It's nice to meet you guys. Yes, absolutely. So firstly, I mean, how's post-race recovery going? Um, I mean, I feel like it's a little different after every race. It gets, I would say it gets a little bit easier the more I've, the longer I've been in the sport. Um, uh, it's, it's going okay. I'm taking it pretty, uh, conservatively, like pretty easy. And I did have a big travel back to France from the U S so, uh, the nine hour time difference, honestly, I think was the biggest (laughs) like hurdle to overcome getting back here just not having trouble sleeping and, you know, being off on my eating schedule and all the things that come with transatlantic travel. I can imagine like running a race like Western States and then jumping on a plane. Um, it's going to be hard to get enough food to eat <laughs> to recover. Um, and yeah. then, yeah, and not being able to sleep would be very difficult. Yeah. And the swelling after the flight was quite intense. So um, I feel like I, my sleep is kind of balancing out just the last day or two. So that's nice. <laughs> and do you wear compression socks on the flight home? Or how do you yeah, deal with the swelling? I, I was wearing compression socks on the flight home, but that can only, I mean, I feel like that helps you when you're in a normal state, but I was like kind of in an extreme state. So <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, I always get an aisle seat and then just try to walk around as much as possible. But even then it's, it's hard. Aisle is key, especially on a nine hour flight. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the, the flight was 11 hours, just oh. nine time zones. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so even longer. Um, yeah. So where are you based out of for your training? Um, so I live in uh, the Southern French Alps. So if anyone's ever been to Nice, I see some Ironman things in the background there. So <laughs> maybe you know of Nice, but if you're in Nice and you put your back to the Mediterranean, the the first like big mountains you see is where we live, where I live with my partner. And uh, it's in the Mercantour National Park. So one of the few national parks in France, actually. So it's a pretty quiet part of the Alps that doesn't get a lot of the big tourist traffic from like international tourists. Uh, We certainly get like people coming from Nice and other French people who know the area, but uh, not nearly as much on the radar as a place like Chamonix or like in the Northern Alps. And what made you choose this spot? Um, well, there's a guy who lives here. <laughs> I mean, I, so I moved to Zurich in 2016 to, uh, for a PhD. And after moving to Zurich, I, yeah, because I am American, um, I met my partner, uh, Germain, who is French, and he's, he was already living in this area. Um, so I was always visiting here to visit him. And I really like the area too. It's not, it's not like I'm just here because he's here. I really love this area. It definitely makes it easier to live in such a remote part of a country where you don't uh, speak the language fluently to like be with someone else who does. So that definitely eased the transition, but um, yeah, it's a really beautiful place. So I was happy to move here when I finished my PhD and yeah, we, we really like it here. So I know you do some cycling. Have you been uh, following or are you going to try and chase down the Tour de France when it uh, comes to the Alps? Um, yeah, I do 
I've been doing less and less cycling actually as as I'm able to run as I can like up my run training it's kind of like taking that priority but yeah actually this week because I have been just trying to ease back into things I have been enjoying just going out just kind of an excuse to get outside really and do something that doesn't bang on my legs um but yeah we we follow the tour so my partner Jamal used to be a cyclist so um he still knows some of the guys in the peloton so we watch to watch them and then of course we're like fans of endurance sports too um we probably won't go they don't come that close to here uh they did come through nice a few days two years ago i think Mm -hmm. um but yeah we didn't go because you can see it better on tv but (laughs) yeah totally not too satisfying seeing them go by for two seconds and then that's it (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe in a climb yeah that would be fun chasing them up one of those big climbs there um, all right, before we get into this Western St- States recap, I thought it might be good for us to uh, give our little listeners kind of a, a peek into your past. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about kind of your sporting path and kind of how you found ultra running. Yeah, I grew up in Maine and I, yeah, I just grew up playing a lot of team sports and also spent a lot of time hiking with my family, like mostly with my dad. So I have this like, you know, team sport background super active growing up um, and also really love the outdoors and yeah in in college I worked um, in mountain huts in New Hampshire all four college summers and that's when I really like found my freedom of being in the mountains and like doing things more on my own I, I mean often with other people who are working in the same huts but just you know not with my dad anymore not with like someone else planning the trip so that's kind of where I found my love for just like being out in the mountains for long periods of time. And from there, I, I learned more about the fact that like kind of fast hiking was a sport. So that kind of caught my interest. And yeah, that, that's sort of how I found the sport was more, I learned that what I was doing was a sport. (laughs) So did you find some early success in it? Like, did you, had you won some races kind of on the way to your big, like UTMB? Uh, win last year tell me about some of your uh, your breakthrough races along the way to that yeah for sure I mean I like what was interesting is that I like the very first trail race I did I won uh, but I was also well aware that it was a very local race so while it was cool and it gave me a little bit of confidence like okay I'm like kind of good at this I knew that it it didn't mean you know it didn't mean I was the next like uh, prodigy (laughs) endurance sport prodigy Um, but yeah I started doing some more competitive races after that and just really enjoyed like the training and the race environment Um, I did a ton of races before UTMB honestly UTMB was not like it was definitely one of the best performances of my life I guess the best performance so far but it wasn't like a huge jump on my uh trajectory like I was I had come in second at CCC which is the 100k um event that's the same week that in like 2018 so it wasn't like a totally new thing I I for sure had never come close to winning UTMBs I had two really bad previous years there but it wasn't like totally you know out of the blue 
And how did you, you know, after those three tries, sometimes when you repeat a race, it's, you sort of wear that mentally. Was there any of that or are you, what is your philosophy when a race doesn't go well? Yeah, I think those two attempts were pretty particular because the first time I tried, I like, I could look back and see that I just like, wasn't ready at all for a variety of reasons like mentally physically like just was not ready I'm really glad I did it at that time because it gave me like a really great you know like really good experience like I saw the race from the inside which for sure helped me later but that year like (laughs) can cross it off the like you know you want to cross that out of your memory um and then in 2021 um my second try I was actually pretty sick like the week yeah a week or two before and I just had trained you know like the whole summer for it and I just didn't want to I didn't want to cross like I didn't want to bail at the last minute and I think now I'm realizing that the sickness probably had a bigger impact than I thought at the time I thought I just had you know I'm so bad at this like horrible day but when I look back I'm like no I was pretty sick like the week before I need to take that into account so I think going into the third try it wasn't that I had done two like, okay races. It was really like these two races that I was like totally unsatisfied with. So I think that gave me a lot of like kind of fire to prove to myself that I could really like do some, like actually have a good performance there. Um, But yeah, I definitely after I finished last year, (laughs) after my third uh, UTMB, I was, yeah, I did. I wasn't like, giddy to do a fourth you know <laughs> I was like okay we we did like I Check. we did this correctly this time so let's like yeah move on to something else <laughs> amazing and in your first UTMB you mentioned that one of the things is that you weren't prepared mentally what does it look like for you to be prepared mentally for a race um I think the biggest thing is just like being able to look back on your training and be confident that you did what you need to do and at that time I had not done a hundred I had not done anything that long before not a race that long before and not a race with that much like hype around it which is a huge component of just like your mental state when there's so much outside energy from other runners from brands from the press and I was yeah I think I was just like a little bit young in the sport and didn't understand how to manage all those things and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into you know I didn't know like what's it going to be like to run through the night and then have to keep running like the whole next day and start into the next night. Like I'd never done something like that before. And all those things were so, I think I just was so unsure about what was going to happen. That's why I say I wasn't like mentally ready. Whereas now I can stand on a start line. And even if I don't know the race exactly, I know what that feeling is like when you get to that point in the race where it's really hard. And now I know like, okay, that's going to happen. I'm going to feel like that. And then I have these past experiences that tell me I've been able to move beyond that. Whereas when you reach that for like the first couple of times you're you kind of freak out in your head, like, oh, this is a really hard moment. I don't know what to do. Like, I've never felt like this before. And now it's more like, okay, I I know it's coming. (laughs) I, I can face it when I get there. And you brought up like racing with hype and you are racing some of the biggest ultra races in the world that are, you know, make international headlines. What do you do to sort of wrap your head around mentally and prepare for that hype? 
I think you, the biggest thing is you really have to be ready to say no to a lot of things and be confident that saying no is okay. Um, yeah, especially if you're someone like me, I like to please everyone and try to keep everyone happy. But there's a point where, especially before a big race, you have to be like, okay, this is the week of the year. I just, I can't be like the most friendly, nicest person ever. You just have to prioritize yourself. And I've gotten more comfortable with that. Of course, you can still be like a good person, but when someone asks for your time that maybe isn't the most productive use of your time, you can, I'm, I'm more comfortable just being like, no, like, or, you know, trying to divert it to another time and just being a little bit more protective of my like internal energy. No, that makes sense. And I would imagine that our listeners, they're all endurance lovers as well, um, that they've heard of Western States, but for anyone who hasn't, can you describe and tell us a little bit about it? Um, maybe like the elevation, the distance, uh, where it's held, et cetera. Yeah, I hope you're okay with metric units. Yeah, because <laughs> that's what I do. Everything we're Canadian, so yeah. yes. Oh, okay. I guess <laughs> I love that it. you guys are. Canadian. I don't know what a mile is. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Um, yeah, so Western States is 100 miles, so 160k, 161k, uh, and there's 5,000 meters of climbing, which uh, is sometimes touted as a lot. I guess it's more than zero, but compared to UTMB, it's it's half of the climbing of, of UTMB. So UTMB is 10,000 meters. Um, and it takes place, it runs close to Lake Tahoe um, from Olympic Valley, which is next to Lake Tahoe, um, all the way to Auburn, California. So you, yeah, you and you kind of go through two pretty distinct environments. You go from like a high alpine environment um, and then you end in these like dry, hot canyons. And it's notoriously pretty hot, although this year was on the, what they call cooler side, still hot. But there's like snow in sections in the early part, isn't there? Yeah, there was snow. It depends on the year, but this year there was snow for the first like, six, uh, yeah, within the first like 20, 25K, there was snow. And how did you qualify for this? So in order to qualify for Western States, uh, you, you can either enter through the lottery which I'm not sure like the statistics on that, but people wait quite a long time to get mm-hmm. into the lottery. But what most elite athletes do is try to qualify through what they call a golden ticket race, where they offer two uh, tickets to the race. Um, yeah, at a select, at a few select races throughout the year. So I actually got my ticket from UTMB last year. Amazing. And I would imagine there's with a race this length, and you know, you mentioned that it's a bit different than UTMB um you know what did your training look like getting ready for this and would you have changed anything in the way that you prepared yeah my training for western states was very different than UTMB I mean mostly as I described the course is like way less steep um and less technical um and that's really unlike where I live where I live is more like UTMB so I had to I mean, I say had to, I chose to um, go to the U.S. two months before the race and I was training in Flagstaff, Arizona, where there's a lot of, um, yeah, trails similar to the race course. Um, And that allowed me to also be at a higher elevation because the race does kind of hang out at a reasonably high elevation at the beginning, at least. Um, Yeah, and then I did a few like winter and spring races that would kind of challenge me to 
keep training on like flatter, faster terrain. So I did the coastal challenge in Costa Rica in February. And then I did Eco Trail Paris in March, which is an 80K um, kind of around the parks of Paris. So it's, it's really fast, um, but it's like a pretty well-known race in France. So I was motivated to go for that. Uh, yeah, so in general, like the training, like hours and, you know, intensity distributions are like similar, of course, because it's still like fitness, but then applying it to just a different terrain. Amazing. And we had talked about your cycling at the beginning, and we also know that you do schemo. How does that fold into your training and preparation for any of this? Yeah, as I mentioned, I, I actually don't do as much cycling as I used to. I, I mean, I didn't even have a bike really with me. Um, I, I really had <laughs> bike besides this week, I hadn't biked like since October. And now I kind of do it more just to like see friends because I don't have that I don't know that many people who run around here. There really, there's only like one other girl who runs in, in the valley. So it kind of allows me to socialize a little bit more. That's kind of what I use it for now. Um, but schema, yeah, it, where we live, we're at 1500 meters in the Alps. So we ski from the door in the winter and can't really run. So that's basically what I do in the winter in a normal year um, is, yeah, a lot of schema, uh, some schema racing, but it's more races that I use as like, I, I definitely care about them because I like racing, but it's, yeah, less, I feel like there's less pressure about it because I'm just not as good at it. And um, I can, yeah, be a bit more flexible around those, but I do really like uh, schema racing. It's good to have a sport like that where you can play. And I'm still laughing at the idea of in your local area and community that you're one of the only runners. So, I mean, they're, you're the, the poster child of what they think a runner should be. So you're setting the bar high. <laughs> um, do you work with a coach at all? Yeah. Um, my coach is Jason Coop. Okay. And how long have you worked with Jason? Um, we started working together in the fall of 2021. So I guess like a year and a half now. And what about his coaching philosophy aligns with how you want to train and progress as an athlete? Yeah, I think it's exactly that. It's it's because we both see this like long-term progression um, as a progression. Like it's not that I need to be in the best shape of my life in like three weeks. It's like, I want to continue this career for a few years and how can we like keep optimizing my progression and you know, ultimately my performance is along the way. So it, I always feel like there's like a longer term vision um, that we both share and like communicate about. So that's something that I really like. And he also just, I feel like we have similar just approaches to like thinking scientifically um, and also keeping, yeah, like th this sort of like scientific thinking, but also how to simplify that into something that is digestible. So um, I feel like there's a lot of simplicity in my training, nothing. I mean, I put everything on Strava, honestly, so you can go see what I do. Nothing is like some crazy workout. Uh, it's just consistent training and keeping, keeping the volume moving in like logical ways, you know, like higher volume when you're closer to an event 
or training for an event and lower when you're not so that your body has time to adapt and recover. Well, thank you so much for putting everything on Strava. We were just talking to uh, Frederick Funk. Um, He's a triathlete that does that. And I think there's such a level of confidence for an athlete to do that, but also you're a source of inspiration. So people can follow your training and watch your progression and just see like what you just, the point you just made. It's not rocket science. It's consistent hard work year over year over year. So I think it's just tremendous that you do that. Um, and working with the right coach. Um, so like finding the right coach that matches, you know, how, where you want to go and what your goals are, I would imagine that it's a similar challenge to make sure that when you are doing a race like Western States, finding your crew and your pacers is that equal like requirement to have the right match. So how do you build that team around you as you go into a race like Western States? Yeah, that's a good question. It is also like a really key part of ultra running because there's a lot of, yeah, you go, you go through like a lot of emotions during a race. It's not just like a two hour all out effort. And so it's important to have somebody that you really trust there to see you, even though you only see them for like, I don't know, a minute or two. Uh, yeah, you want to know that that person is there, like they're in your head because you're thinking, okay, you know, in one hour, I'm going to see this person and you want it to be someone you're happy to see or like relieved to see, not someone you're like, oh, I don't really trust them. <laughs> um, so actually at UTMB, my coach, Jason Coop crewed me last year. And that of course was like fantastic because I trust him with my training. So of course I trusted him with <laughs> recruiting for me. Um, and then this year he helped me find uh, some actually people I already sort of knew, but not super well, but that he trusted. And I feel like, you know, through osmosis, I also had a lot of trust for them and they're really experienced around the race and had crewed other people before. So that helped a lot. And they were kind of the like business side of the business side of like crewing. And then I had family and friends there too, who I didn't want to put all that like emotional pressure on. So they were more like the assistants around. So I had kind of people who weren't super close to me emotionally, like really in charge. And then like friends and family around who could kind of do different, you know, they could still be helpful, but if something went wrong, like it would be someone a little bit more removed who would like be in charge. That's a great strategy. So was your family like uh, your family and friends there when they see you like deep, uh, deep in that race? Are they starting to get like concerned about you if they don't fully understand the magnitude of what you're going through? I was worried they might because it was my family's first time at one of my races. Um, And so I was worried they would get concerned, but actually they were great. And like, there was no problem. And they were like, totally on it. And yeah, it was actually great to have them there. Well, yeah, I'm sure you had some dark moments, which we'll go over in the next bit. But man, even just seeing your like video of you like on that track, you looked like fresh and bounding down that track. I'm sure it didn't. It probably felt like you were running through molasses at that point. But man, you looked good. Looked smooth. Yeah, when you hit the track, I think there's like a, you get a different leg feeling. But if you had seen me like an hour before that, it wasn't the same. Yeah, like describe, like I have never ran that far in my entire life. What does it feel like in the back half of Western States? I mean, I honestly never, I had never run that far before either because during a lot of the races in the Alps, like UTMB, you're doing a lot of hiking. And so just biomechanically, yeah, I'd never like run, run that far before. So it was new territory to me. Um, And it's, I feel like it's, 
in ultras it's always you think you're everything's going great until suddenly it's not it's not like I never feel like it's a slow decline it always feels like a really sudden moment <laughs> um so yeah in the back half I mean the back half actually overall is fine it was just these like couple hours I don't even know the mileage where it was but like three out or yeah three or four hours from the finish when I kind of hit like a, a big low um yeah I think it's different for everyone like for me it was more my stomach but I know for other people it can kind of be their legs or something else that that becomes complicated how did you handle that especially because it was stomach yeah, I could feel my stomach having some issues. I had some GI stops and I mean, I could see that I was, well, one thing was that I could see that I was getting kind of dizzy, but then when I ran, I, I wasn't any more dizzy when I was running. So I was like, okay, I can either walk and be dizzy or run and be dizzy. So might as well run and be dizzy. So type A, and, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then the other thing I did was um, we can have, you can have a pacer at Western States. So I, they can't, it's different than a mule, which they can't like carry any of your stuff. They're only there for like verbal moral support. And my, yeah, my pacer is someone who's done the race before and who knows the race really well. And yeah, in that moment, luckily I could kind of just be like, Hey, I can't eat anything. My stomach is really bad. Like, what should I do? Like, I just wanted someone else to like, mm with a clearer head to tell me what to do and yeah I think it's just nice to have he, I mean he didn't magically solve the problem but it was just reassuring he's like okay there's another aid station coming up and we can find a solution there we'll find something you can eat and even having someone tell you that you know in your head okay there's going to be a solution like in I don't know 20 minutes there will be a solution and that keeps you moving to that point and when we got there yeah I I found some stuff to eat and it helped and got me going again nice so jumping back a little earlier into the race um tell me a little bit about the like early stages of uh running with Courtney during that part because I know you guys had a a pretty quick breakaway from the rest of the pack yeah I honestly don't even know where we broke away I mean in the first climb but I think it was pretty was like pretty soon after the start which surprised me because I thought it would just be like a huge pack of girls together but um yeah I'm not usually someone who I don't like really cue off other people really I just kind of pick my own pace um I think a lot of that's because I mostly train by myself so I'm pretty confident in like choosing my own uh like effort so yeah I just went out at my effort it happened to be the same speed at which Courtney was moving so that made it convenient to stay together and then we were chatting a little bit at the start and it helped that we were yeah that we did stay together because there was um it was a little bit hard to navigate in the snow at times just like spotting the flags and so we were kind of like oh there's a flag there and you know navigating together so yeah it was nice to have some like a little bit of company at the beginning before she before she kicked it up a notch <laughs> so were you guys like chatting during this time over any like about anything or are you guys just like focused on staying on course and nailing your fueling what does that look like no, we were chatting, yeah, from the start until for like, I guess, I think she went ahead after like three hours, three or four hours. Yeah, we were chatting most of the time. But um, yeah, I forget. we were talking about the Tour de France uh, 
Netflix show. I was t- trying to convince her she should do schemo. <laughs> I don't know if she'd be talking about random things, but yeah, it's nice to have some company. Awesome. Um, so you're up there early in the race running, like right beside Courtney, um, going into the race. Did you have any like initial goals of like, um, going for the win or I'm going for the course record? Like what was your kind of mindset going into the, your first Western States? Yeah, I think it was, it was a little interesting. I mean, looking back, I mean, for sure. I, when I come to races now, I, the ultimate goal is to win. Like that's, I'm in a fortunate position in my career where like, that's like my goal is to win. And I didn't, you know, go to the U S for two months to, to try to fight for any other position. Um, of course I knew Courtney was there. I've raced Courtney before, so it wasn't, you know, I, I knew that, um, yeah, I know how strong Courtney is actually. I don't think we really know how strong she is. She's (laughs) incredible. She blows us away every time. So I knew that, I mean, her being there for sure would bring up the speed of the entire race. And if I wanted to have like a best performance or like a best effort, it's going to be at a race when Courtney's there. Cause yeah, that's going to provide the biggest challenge. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yes, it sure does. Um, so you had, you mentioned like you had gone to the U S for two months. Um, how did you go about like learning about the course? Did you actually do some recon on the course or was it just learning from people who had done it in the past? What did uh, that look like to really get familiarized with it? And are you somebody that likes to know every intricate detail of a course or just kind of let it fly? I oh, know I'm like a, I'm a scientist. I really like to know every. Okay, you're like me, part not like Jess. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like when I'm approaching a race like this, where I'm like, okay, I'm here because I want to like really perform, and that's the ultimate goal. Then yeah, I want to know every inch of the course. If it's more like a race where maybe it's in a new place, and I just want to take it more on like an adventure, then that then it's fun to you know not know the race. Um, but yeah, in this case, I did um, some recon in mid-May, I think. I went to Auburn and spent a week there, and my dad came from Maine to, you know, basically crew me for my recon week because it's complicated to, like, do the, to do one-way runs without someone picking you up, um, and that was super helpful because, yeah, he even met me at, like, midpoints in my run to give me new supplies because it's really hard to get water and super dry um and pretty remote so yeah he was a big part of that recon trip so I got to see all but the first 50k of the race because it was still super snowy so so the first 50k were were a new thing (laughs) and from that recon was there some things that like you were really glad that you saw there that were kind of like eye-opening that would have helped you in the race Yeah, I think in my head, or at least the way it's like described in Europe is that it's like this hundred mile race on a dirt road. And I think I'd kind of really gotten that in my head and being on the course, the last 110 K of the course, I saw that that's like not true at all. There's a few places where you're on a dirt road, but really not as really not that much. Like it is a trail, like the trail is not technical, but it is a trail race. Um, And so that prepared me a bit better mentally I was like okay this is actually a trail race a fast one but it's not a dirt road the whole time um yeah that was probably the biggest thing and then just seeing there there was like one or two climbs that I ended up hiking a little bit of in recon actually one where I hiked almost the whole thing 
And so that kind of, that gave me a good idea, like, okay, during the race, there is going to be like at least one or two sections where I'll do a little bit of walking. So Nice. And um, jumping into your kind of fueling and like pacing strategy for this. So fueling wise, did you, you talk like you, you were scientific. Did you have sort of like certain parameters around like um, goals you were trying to hit per hour, whether it was like fueling stuff or was it more just like eat as much as you can in a day like that? Like what did your fueling kind of strategy look like? Yeah, I, this is tough because it's, it's unfortunately the one thing I haven't like really nailed um, at any race, <laughs> actually races under, I would say races under like eight, 10 hours. I'm fine. I can do, I, I do never second gels. And like, for example, at Eco Trail Paris, that was six, just over six hours. I just did never second gels the whole time. And it was great. But once you start passing that like eight, 10 hour barrier, it becomes a whole new world. And yeah, I, I try, like, I mean, my goal is always to do something like 50 to 70 grams of carbs an hour, but honestly, like that, it's, that's always the intention. And then it just kind of becomes what it is. I have an alarm on my watch every 30 minutes. So I like try to eat something every 30 minutes. Um, and I was doing great at the beginning of the race. I was taking in a lot of like real food and then using the gels as like kind of alternating between gels and real food. Um, fortunately at the U S races, the aid stations are like incredible. They have like a whole buffet of like a huge variety of things. Whereas in Europe, it's usually just like cheese, crackers, <laughs> sausage, chocolate, a charcuterie and, board at each station. <laughs> yeah. You're like, uh, this, none of this looks great. Glass, or of, like, glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. The, but it, some of these stations, they had like PB and J they had like rice nice. balls, quesadillas. So I was kind of grabbing things that looked good. I had a popsicle at an aid station. Mm. Um, and I was just kind of following like if I saw something on the table that looked really good, I would just take it because yeah. <laughs> um, but then yeah, later in the race, I just started having some GI issues and I'm not sure entirely what's that, what, like, you know, if something caused it or if it's just the fact that your body is like, why are we running this far? <laughs> I don't want to eat anymore, which I think is a normal reaction. So it's, it's something that, um, for sure is interesting because it's something I can still work on but yeah and everybody's different so it's hard to ask for advice from other people so yeah when you have those dark moments um you mentioned that you train alone a lot is there any sort of like mantra or saying or what motivates you when things get really hard um I feel like I get I mean i I like love training and I like love just going out on a long run by myself. Like that's what gets me like super, that's when I feel like really satisfied. So I never, I rarely have times like that in training where I'm like having a super hard time, maybe in like a higher intensity workout. And then, yeah, I'll have like different mantras depending on whatever was last in my head almost. <laughs> um, Sometimes I think one interesting thing is sometimes I'll just, if I'm in like a hard workout, for example, or I'm like in a hard interval, instead of being, instead of like letting the thought of like, oh my God, this is so hard. Oh my God. Not like, you know, I don't think I can do this anymore. I'll just be like, okay, just like feel it, you know, like mm -hmm. really try to like feel. And then you realize like, you know, it's not as bad as I was like convincing myself it is. It's still not comfortable, but if you just kind of focus on like, okay, 
I'm feeling it. Like I feel this right now and not trying to think like, okay, only one minute left. Okay. Only 30 seconds left and just really be in that moment. I think that helps me, um, in workouts, um, in races, I would say, I usually have like a song stuck in my head that I just like keep singing or, um, yeah, or just, yeah, like forward, like forward motion, forward motion. Those are the kind of things I never feel like I have to force those thoughts. Like I, I do feel like I can come back to kind of like, um, positive, calm thoughts pretty well in most situations. You have a really interesting balance of like, you you love the science and the data, but you also like what you were just saying of like, you're really capable of being in the moment and feeling it and having that sort of, I don't know, more woo-woo side of running. So I'd love to like, you spend mo- so much more time running than the average person. What is it that you love about running? I think it, it's just like my, it's kind of like my way to, just like be with myself and that's why I I think everyone has different reasons and I know there's a lot of people who really like trail running because they like going on group runs before work or like being in a yeah like meeting up with everyone and that's I like those things sometimes but that's not like the main thing that I love about running like that's like an accessory to me like my interest in running is more because I just want to go outside by myself for like, <laughs> for like a bunch of hours and just like be in my own head and it gives me time to just like let everything run run through my brain without yeah without any like time pressure around it I think that's amazing what is your favorite workout in training oh long runs for sure. I'm, <laughs> when I like, get a long run on the calendar, I'm like, yes. <laughs> this is the most unsurprising answer you've given so far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anything that you did to celebrate um, Western states? Um, well, so, I mean, my family was there and actually my sister got engaged to like two weeks before the race and so her partner came she and her partner both were there at the race so actually like two days after the race once I finally finished like all my media obligations and everything then we finally had a chance to like celebrate her and her partner which was like honestly more exciting because it's like okay fine let's like not think about the race for (laughs) like a few hours and just like focus on this other thing that happened so uh, yeah I don't feel like there was like a I don't, I honestly don't feel like I need to really like celebrate a race with like a specific thing. It's just, I did what I wanted to do. I'm happy with everything. Come back home and like sit on the couch and watch the tour and yeah, get a pizza at the restaurant nearby, like just get back to normal life. I can't think of any better way to spend time after a race. Um, But speaking of which, what's next for 2023 for you? Uh, so the next like thing on the calendar is OCC, which is part of also the UTMB week. It's the 50K um, and it's the day before UTMB. So my, that will be like my next race. I, I'm still like, I mean, I'm, I'm signed up for it. It's like pretty sure I'll do it, but I'm honestly still in like recovery mode and it, it, something could always change. So that's the next immediate plan. But like, more certain is that my partner will be running me again this year. So um, I'm excited to like be on the other side 
of the trail and be in support mode and cheering and yeah, watching him. I love that. Do you ever do training together with your partner? We, we used to do a lot together um, when I was more like visiting uh, and so then it just made sense, obviously. Now we kind of use it as our our respective alone time because we are both professional athletes living in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere in France. So we spend all day together. So it's kind of our like break during the day. <laughs> um, but if we have like, if we both have like an easy run someday, we'll, you know, we'll do an hour together. Or if we're traveling, we'll like, you know, start together and kind of help do out and backs. Um, but we, we honestly ski more together than we run together just because it match like for safety, it makes more sense. And yeah, it matches up better. And so you've done some incredible things in your career so far. Is there any sort of milestones or bucket list items that you have left in your career? Um, anything you still want to accomplish? I mean, I'd really like to win Western States. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Um, I still want to do Diagonal des Poux and Hard Rock. Um, a few other races, but those are kind of like the next two big ones I haven't done yet that are, you know, the classics of ultra running. So I would say those two are at the top of the list. Amazing. Well, we have no doubt that you'll be able to do those um, and we'll be cheering on your success. Um, and we brought you on because you're our endurance icon, but I'd love to know who's yours. Um, I think my endurance icon is <laughs> someone that I, I doubt the listeners would know, but it's my friend Renee Rivera, who's an ex, uh, is a former uh, Ironman triathlete who now does trail running. He's in his 50s and just like still is 100% in endurance sport, like no questions asked. Like, you know, he's just like totally consumed by training and, um, yeah, always challenging himself. And it's something that's always um, inspired me just because he found trail running like really late in his life after like a really successful Ironman career and just seeing how much he loves it and how much he still loves training. Even I'm thinking like, oh, that would be, I mean, I hope that I can still be in that position in, in 20 years and be as motivated and still love it as much. So that's, yeah, he's, he's my icon, I guess. <laughs> The fact that you love training so much, um, I can see you doing this in 20 years, no question, but, um, <laughs> so in the meantime, how can people follow along with your journey? Yeah. As I mentioned, I mean, you can follow me every day on Strava or there's everything there. And then I most like, besides that, I'm mostly active on Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Katie. It was a pleasure to talk to you and congratulations again on Western State. Uh, we can't wait to follow all of your accomplishments in the next year. Thanks. Yeah, it was great to chat with you guys. Wow. How great was that? I always learned so much from these endurance icons. If you enjoyed the podcast as well, please consider liking us across social media, subscribing to us on YouTube, or giving us a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you and your support so much. We wish you happy training and we'll see you back next week.